JB here from Soccer Dad Pod, putting out just a little note before this episode because it's a little bit different than our normal. This is a memorial episode for my coach, high school coach, Coach Gene Baker from Granite City, Illinois. I brought in a couple friends that spanned a few decades back in the 62040, and we sat down at Nick Pavia's place, called Pavia's Place, had a couple beers, and told stories about a man that had an just an unimaginable influence and effect on thousands of players' lives. So I hope you enjoy it. It's just a different take on remembering someone that impacted the game, impacted a community, and did it the right way when it came to everything that happened on the field and off. So enjoy the show, and we'll catch up with you next time. Zach here. I love my kids, really. And when my kids have a knock, a sprain, a tweak, I like to get them back to 100% as soon as possible. I also hate deductibles. I get it. But now, in Missouri, I don't have to waste any unnecessary copay after my child rolls their ankle because now I can go straight to a PT. No more pediatric visits in a germ-infested lobby waiting for permission to go to a physical therapist. Axie's Physical Therapy has 19 locations from Glen Carbon to Winsville and specializes in rehab, especially soccer rehab. So instead of burning a couple of needless hours and cash going to get a referral, take that bump or bruise straight to Axie's. Go to axiespt.com for more info. And feel free to Venmo me your half the savings. Hello, everybody. Got a special episode today. Soccer Dad Pod is back. As many of you know, I'm a uh, 62040 er. Um, my my childhood coach, high school coach, Gene Baker, um, unfortunately passed away recently, and. The outcry and the um, the feedback and loss and the conversations that have that have just percolated out of this has been incredible. And we talked to uh, I talked to a friend of mine, Nick Pavia, over here at Pavia's place in Granite, and we were like, "Well, do we do? You know, we got to do something, try and capture more of these stories." And uh, so here we are. That's what we're going to do today. So I've got a. Uh, a, a, a line of just quality GC peeps lined up here, and we're going to be talking about coach. We're going to be talking about soccer. We're going to be talking about. Pro- You're not going to believe it. But we're going to be talking about wrestling and beers. <laughs> Go hand in hand, <laughs> and a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, joining me to kick this thing off today, uh, we have the Mr. Jeff Hayes. Class of ninety six. Ninety six. Yep. Appreciate you having me on here too, and I'm impressed. We're Two minutes in, and you've already used percolating. Percolated. I was wondering when that one was going to come up. I know we uh, we've got a bingo card that we've started yeah. structuring and uh, flipping hammer percolating. Word of the day. You always try to squeeze it in real quick. Yeah, we we got to figure that out. You know, now we got to figure out what they win when they check all the boxes on the bingo yeah. card. So probably nothing, but that's all right. Uh, obviously, we uh, I rolled in with some queen because. Um, nobody in the state of Illinois has won more games and especially championships. And Coach Baker. Perfect so, intro. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, there's a million different ways we can start this thing. And um, 
I don't know, because I, I started to try and guesstimate the total number of players, people, uh, you know, forget about students, because that's a whole other math mm -hmm. equation. But players that he affected from, you know, not only his tenure here, but really beyond. Yeah. And it's, I mean, thousands and thousands approaching. Easy, easy. Um, so I guess what I'd like to do, I, I've had my story and most of the listeners of the show have, have heard uh, pieces of mine. And back in March, I actually had the privilege, the honor to sit down with Coach Baker, uh, him and uh, David Fernandez. And we had an episode together. Uh, so check, go find that one because it's, you know, luck, luckily for us, for all of us, yeah. you know, it was one of the last conversations mm -hmm. of him. You know, we got to ask him a lot of questions, uh, you know, about his time, uh, his dad's 17 bars or whatever the number mm -hmm. was, you know, <laughs> just a, just a, some incredible stories. So what I like to do is I'm just going to kind of keep this format loose um, you know, in so much that tell your stories you know and jeff you, you you're here joining me you've you've listened to the show uh so you kind of know that we are uh shithousery first and subject matter second <laughs> uh you know you you mentioned your class here tell 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 us a little bit about just growing up in the program yeah those years and uh you know the, as a little kid waiting to try out and then you get into the mix what was it like Talk that's, about a, coach. that's the best way to put it uh being a little kid waiting to try out because you don't you don't get your start with coach baker when you're a freshman you get it when you're growing up and you're going to baker's camp and you're getting to see the older players uh not to date you but such as yourself and you know my you're cousin, not dating me my uh, cousin. <laughs> it's all right yeah my cousin jason maxfield so i looked up to him a lot sure. and he, he graduated with you but then about the time that you can really understand the concept of high school soccer when you're you know elementary school and you're going to these camps and you're seeing these uh guys at the camp and then you get to watch them play it was like hometown heroes every time you got to go to a home game it was really impressive and, and with the success that they had year after year it was exciting because you felt like you were part of that team. So, you know, when I think about my time in high school with Coach, you have all these great memories about playing and being on the field and, and winning, you know, big games. But just like we mentioned earlier, he's a storyteller. So a lot of what I remember are all the stories that we heard about, you know, the players and the teams before us, the, the stories that we shared in the locker room before you go out to train. Um, you know, the stories that he would tell you um, after after a big win or, you know, a, a humbling loss. Um, very few of those. Very few, but a, a few nonetheless. I think, you know, <laughs> that's what I appreciated most about Coach was, and, and we said this too, you know, I graduated in 96, and through this program I've been friends that have graduated in the 80s and the 70s that were also part of a program. So, Coach did an amazing job of uh, making this program more than just the, the team that you were on when you were in school. You were a part of something special as soon as you walked through the door. And it was because of what the guys before you did. So talk a little bit about, you know, because if you were 96, you know, so you were born uh, 78, 78 mm -hmm. right? So when I'm going to guess by the time, <clears throat> you know, when you're kicking it at uh, – Vest Fields, Pepsi Fields, yep. Elks Fields, all that out at Steel Field or behind Prather. 
you know, at that point you start getting into the game, you have a cousin that's a couple of years older than you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when, tell me a little bit about when you knew that, you know, Jeff Hayes, the kid, the athlete that you wanted to be, you know, focus on soccer or, or stay in soccer exclusively. Yeah. Um, and what, what did, what did coach Baker and really the program here in town, what role did that play in, in molding that decision? It was, it was just exciting. I mean, when you look up to when you're that age, say you're in fourth, fifth grade and you're getting on your first select team and you're starting to see you're traveling, you know, you travel to Springfield, Illinois for an away term, you stay in the Holodome and how exciting that is. <laughs> um, so you're hanging out with your buddies, but then you're also there with some Elks teams that are, you know, a little bit older, older than you. So you get to go to your game, you play, and then you watch these older guys play. And again, it's just, you're in awe of how good they are, which would be great to go back and watch those, well, you know, you, watch you, those games. I was thinking about this the other day, talking because on our show, uh, uh, a subject, the subject matter that has become kind of the lightning rod is the high school versus club environment and, mm-hmm. you know, where players go, what are, what's pathway, et cetera. You know, and in order for it to be a fair discussion, it, it does require pulling a lot of the, uh, the culture and the realities of those years out to try and figure out, is that gone? Can we get it back, et cetera. And, you know, thinking about those club days at that time in those years and and coach baker knew this better than anybody it was about the community club absolutely um so here in granite there was really only you know two two teams really but per age group there was really only one Mm -hmm. you know whereas now super clubs you have an age group the u13s and they've got 12 yeah and they're kind of split up among the towns. So you might play with three guys from this town, two guys from your hometown, nobody that you may know really outside yeah. of soccer. Uh, but that was what was exciting. Cause like I said, when you go to the hotels and you're, you're at away tournaments, you're hanging out with your buddies. These are the kids that you grow up with and you're going to class with. And um, this is just how you spent your day here in town. I can't tell you how many times we would go to Worthen Park, just guys my age and play, or we would meet on 27th Street, and it was like a, it was like skins. a pick, yeah, it was like a pickup basketball game out there where you just know that at five o'clock that was, on a that particular was, day that was officially an unofficial scrimmage. It was a yeah, it was <laughs> an unofficial contact day at the time before yeah. contact days were a thing. And and funny enough, I always think that you know when we were growing up, we would go to uh, Latterman Park in st louis and coach would be there and we would you know it was like an unofficial day i don't think you were necessarily allowed to do that over the summer so we'd cross the river um but now you know high schools have 25 contact days which basically means you can train all summer long but i felt like we were we were excited to do that with coach and um well let me let me ask you this in those early days you know when you're running around and you're starting to approach your high school years mm -hmm. and um you know, because Coach, to me, me personally, he was always kind of this mystical figure yes. in so much that yes. I knew that he wasn't from Granite. I knew that mm-hmm. he wasn't born in wet, on the west side, you know, or out off of, you know, Arlington. I knew that there wasn't that tie, that he was a transplant, you know, t- t- fundamentally he was a transplant. Yeah. Uh, and so when he kind of moved around and you go to the games, you would see him. And, and then when you start to connect the dots of the wins and the and the state titles and and then you start to look at the names mm-hmm. that are just funneling out the door and going to the biggest programs in in the country he was kind of that facilitator and as a kid 
he didn't feel like a granite resident. He he was almost like floated a little bit above that for me. Yeah. Um, and so whenever I did get to freshman year and on the field, it was kind of like a little bit of not out of body experience, but it, I know what stress. you mean. So I yeah. know what I know what you mean. Um, we used to we used to joke about this. I remember there was a <clears> night that we went to Matt Little's house before our first game when we would travel up to Peoria Richwoods on the Saturday before school started. And we just sat around, probably 12, 13 of us in Matt's bedroom, and told stories about Coach from the time that we were little. Um, Just how in awe we were of him. And in some ways, you know, nervous to be around him and wanting to please him and doing anything like, you know, whatever he asked of you, that's what you were going to do. And that memory sticks out, you know, at this time, just because we're, we're sitting around cracking up at these stories and and how we all kind of felt the same but nobody realized you all look at coach the same way like you know like i said almost this mythical feature i kind of i kind of uh, i was thinking it was almost like santa claus in a way that you sit around and you're just you know you're you're starstruck by him and you're excited but you know santa claus wasn't real but every everything about coach was real um in the way he yeah would, especially the discipline Oh, absolutely. The, the rules <laughs> that you knew to follow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, Jamie Bridges, I saw him say something. Um, I made a post and Christy Costello was like, yep, you look your coach in the eyes. And Jamie said, yeah, if you don't look your coach in the eyes, you don't play. Like guys wouldn't start because of that. And that was a real deal. And it was never an issue because people knew and everybody was looking at coach in the eyes. Yeah. Well, that's a great segue. Let's let's fold in our other guest that's on the mic here with us. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I mentioned in the out, at, at, at the intro here that we we're going to be talking about a little bit of wrestling. You were probably like, what are you talking about? Well, guest number two, we have uh, Coach Garland, Mike Garland Hi. from Granite City as well. Yeah. How are you doing, Mike? Very good. Very good. I remember the first time I, I met Coach Becker. Uh, I was teaching in Madison. It was like 1980. I was uh, Smitty's assistant coach. And like everybody, I, I've heard of him. I'm th- you know, I couldn't wait to meet him. Yeah. Because uh, you got Smitty and you got Baker, both Hall of Fame coaches. Pull, pull the mic a little bit closer, okay. if you don't mind. Yeah, thank you. Both cool. Hall of Fame coaches. I mean, what a great, you know, I, I could go to either one of those guys and they would help me with any situation. They wouldn't, like, break in or or talk to me if I had a question they would answer it well let, let me kind of set the table a little bit because a lot of people are probably wondering you know <laughs> what does wrestling have to do with this but you you were you were a teacher at the high school as well you right. obviously had the program yeah. you guys were very very close um, and Keith Galing uh, who Keith was my he was my club coach he was my Elks coach yeah. and him and coach were obviously very very tight he reached out to you and and basically was like Hey, JB's doing this thing. You should go over there. And when your response, you you kind of joked about it earlier, like, "Wait, why do they want to hear about a wrestling yeah. coach?" And it's about the stories. So, talk a little bit about kind of that day in, day out in the classrooms. And you know, because we we all know we know the numbers, we know the state titles. You know, and we're going to get into more and more players throughout the evening here. But talk a little bit about him and him in the school as a teacher because I, I want to point out one thing before you answer and this comes from the uh the, the episode that i had him on i asked a question about what was in the water in north county that all of these high school coaches because him and terry mickler and villa and everybody 
you know, kind of popped out at the same time from North County. And his answer completely surprised me. And it had nothing to do with soccer. He goes, well, JB, you know, we weren't, we were all teachers. I was an English teacher. Terry was this. And, and he made it about the cerebral side. So that's, that's what I'm curious about as a, you know, a fellow teacher next to him all those years. What was he like as a teacher in, in those halls? He was a great person, a wonderful teacher and a great coach. When he taught school, he was as serious about teaching English as he was at coaching. He would help those kids. Uh, I mean, you didn't have to be a soccer player. You know, he would have a, a situation with one of my wrestlers. He would come and talk to me. Yeah. Well, hey, this is what we got to do. This is what we got to do to help this kid. So it was all about helping the kids. He, would, he was really wonderful about that. Uh, I was an assistant coach from 88 to 83, but I taught in Madison. 87, I got the head wrestling coach's position at Granite. So that's when I was with him day in and day out. Uh, and then, you know, he says, hey, you want to go have a beer? And I'm thinking, this guy's all right already. <laughs> so, <laughs> a winner. So, and when we would go out, we wouldn't, we wouldn't talk about how he coached and how I coached. We just talked about the stories, yeah. the kids, the games. And I'm thinking, you know what? I could learn from this guy, and I can learn from Smitty. And you'd be surprised how many times that I would just sit and watch him coach, and Smitty too. But I would go to the soccer games, and I would watch Bate coach. And I would really watch him during the tough decisions, the finals of sectionals, uh, the quarterfinals at state, yeah. where you can't be wrong. you got to be right. And he, one thing he did tell me, because I asked him, he never – you know, butted in or anything. He goes, you have to put a kid in a situation to succeed. You have to realize what his level of play is, and you got to put him in a in a better position to succeed rather than to put, than to fail. He also told me that a lot of coaches don't do this. You have to teach kids how to win. It's not about showing a play or showing a move, and the winning takes care of itself. No, you got to know how to. I used to call it position follow through. You got to follow through with the win. You got to follow through with the play, and that's how you win. Uh, no matter how good you are, you could have the best team in the world, but I know if you don't have a good coach, you're not going to win. So, you know what, let me, yeah, go ahead. That makes me think when I talk to teams that I coach too, I, it sounds very arrogant, but I tell them I coach to win games. And it, I feel like I got that from Coach Baker, where Again, you can do all the drills that you want. You can have the best players, but you got to figure out some different way to win some games. And he did, he did things kind of out of the norm sometimes that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Um, you know, as a player, you might be scratching your head asking yourself why you're doing this, but you also <laughs> learn to trust them and just just do it. And you mean like I, a set play where you scoop the ball and someone yeah. purposely hits a bicycle? Hits a bicycle, yeah, yeah. little, yeah. little yeah, things like that. that. <laughs> um, you know, so I, I tell my players, we're gonna we're gonna try to figure out how to win games, and it it does go a lot more into like the cerebral part that you talk about. Well, you know, well, let me I, let me jump in there real quick because uh, Terry Mickler, based through the show, has become a friend of mine. Uh, we had him on because obviously his record over at CBC is astounding. Uh, you know, and the two of them had this these uh, parallel but separate li you know lives in success and timing. And he had, I mean, he just had amazing things to say about him. And he, and 
he made a comment about preparation, which made me think about coach and, you know, and, and coach's approach is like more basketball than soccer. And so much that, you know, in the pregame meetings, there's a whiteboard and there's X's and O's, you know, and there's, you know, there, there's going to be one or two names on the board. Uh, you know, from the opposing team, like these two are not going to beat us. And then there would be names on the board of our team. You three are going to stop these two and we're going to be just fine. Right. So my question to you, Coach Garland, um, that kind of preparation, you know, because you're look, you're no slouch at all. You and your program, you guys dominated wrestling, not only in the region, in the state, you know, had tremendous success. Did you did you mirror or steal or take or learn from coach in that process and apply it on your side? Where was the, where was the synergy there? Well, every everything you said, I did, and and like I said, I looked, I watched Smitty, I watched Bake, and one thing I know is those two were fierce, fierce competitors. Losing was not an option. They they said, you know, I I used to tell my wrestlers because smitty and, and i heard bake saying a champion always finds a way to win no matter what your leg hurts uh, your car broke down mom's getting divorced when that game is over we're going to figure out a way to win and he, he told me he said when when i'm watching the first half i'm thinking about the second half you know i'm watching this kid and when you're talking about marking guys you you, you see how he's doing with that guy yeah. you know is it working is it not working but these guys you know he told me, show me a good loser, I'll show you a loser. You know, you take it like a man, you shake their hands, I'll get you next time. But you as a head coach, and I felt the same way, it's my responsibility to figure out something, figure out a way to win, no matter who it is. Now, sometimes you would go against another great coach like you were talking. You know, you know you got to be ready. Yeah. Big time ready, because you know he's going to be ready. And that, you know, that makes a big difference. And it was always fun that... It was pressure packed because pressure changes everything. It doesn't matter how good a kid is. When you put him in the pressure game, state or sectionals, that separates the men from the boys. Well, let me ask you this, and I'll ask you know both of you. <clears throat> um, being Granite City natives, right? Um, the pride, you know, because what he was able to do, and you know, bringing attention to the program, success within the program. And then developing specifically tournament, tournament champions and kind of the, the, the mass of support that that program generated at all, over the years. What did it make you feel when, you know, Collinsville's come to town early in October, we're ranked, you know, whatever in the state, whatever in the nation. We know that state or bust is basically the mantra. How did it make you guys feel as Granite Cityans, as, as, you know, as a fan, to, to go to the gauntlet, which is arguably the worst soccer field in the history of soccer fields, uh, and see the people and that, that environment? Talk, talk about what that was like. You know, as a player, I was just showing my son some pictures of, of high school days when we were playing um, because of all this last night. And I showed him the field. He, he's uh, more inclined to play baseball. And that's what we played on. We played on right, right field and center field is where our soccer field part was. Part of the infield. Yeah, yeah. part of the infield. <laughs> Depending the, on the, the stands are at uh, second base. And every once in a while, you're running on the dirt and you're actually in play. So 
You're right. It wasn't the best field, but man, it was the best field. Um, you know, tournament of champions when that entire sideline would just be packed with fans and, and behind the fences. Yeah, behind the fences, and there'd be this billowing smoke coming from uh, the barbecue pit where they'd be cooking up food, and it was so tight behind the benches. There was no room. It was just basically your bench was against the fence and then you had about two feet before you were on the field it was just a great environment and it was something also you know coach took a lot of pride in that and wanting to keep playing there as, as long as we could uh from what i recall um but just, I, I believe they offered him a field yeah quite a few times but mm-hmm. he wanted to stay at the gauntlet the yeah. gauntlet had a name yeah I mean, it you and know, it had I, meaning behind it, too. Yeah, well, he put yeah. us on it starting midnight practice and purposely destroyed the field all year long yeah. so that we were used to playing on it. Uh-huh. Yeah. And all the uh, private school kids from the west side, and you know who you are, you're listening, <laughs> uh, did not like that field. Yeah. So, you, oh. you know, Coach Garland, you, like, is there a memory of the gauntlet of a game there or, you know, maybe at State? that stands out of if maybe coach's finest moment in your eyes? Well, what, what, what I thought was cool about everything is everybody on the field, the players, the coaches obviously, and the stands all felt the same because the alumni was in the stands. They all have been through it. They know what they're going through. And I said, I used to tell my wrestler, the hardest thing to do in sports is to beat somebody whose mind's made up they're going to win. I mean, yeah. no doubt about it. You've been in games where you know you're going to win, no matter what. Okay, well, you get two teams like that, then it comes to coaching. you got to have a good coach. And uh, it, it was just so, so neat to watch him coach because I don't ever believe I saw him make a wrong move or, or decision. You know what, along those lines, and you know, maybe, Jeff, you can speak to this as well, but in my years around him, um, after there were a few measurable memorable losses that were very painful as players uh very few and coach obviously is right there with us the whole time the bus rides etc i can't remember him ever expressing any type of second guessing or doubt or or looking for yeah but or there, there was never excuses that's it was exact. very straightforward yeah. in, in that process yeah you know, that's what of, i was going to say too. a lot of coaching is a guess it's a gut feeling you don't you don't know what how it's going to turn out but it goes back to put them in a position where they're going to going to succeed yeah and then you throw them out there and hope it goes and you live with that uh as an assistant coach, I used to have my assistant coaches. Assistant coaches can give suggestions. Head coaches have to make decisions, and they have to live with that. And I could tell you every loss I had as a coach yeah. and a wrestler. But what I remember up at State is when they would, I guess, introduce everybody, and the whole team would kind of run around and then run to the alumni. I mean, how cool is it? It almost gives you goosebumps to see that year in and year out. And to have it is so hard to go to state number one, to place in state and to win state. I remember teaching. I taught PE and drivers at high school, and looking at that big sign, it's like nine, five in a row. Yeah. So I'm thinking, as a as a former coach, well, all the kids that you coached before they're all gone. Your fifth year, this is a new group of kids. Yeah, yeah. I mean, holy cow! That you, you're, that is something. you're winning. You're winning on a mindset. You're winning yep. on a uh, emotion. Mm-hmm. You know, and a culture. Yeah. Um, yeah, because the one thing that you, we have this conversation all the time uh, with 
a lot of people that are kind of either new to the game or maybe just not aware or never paid attention to the east side of the river. But in order to win those state titles, all the uh, a lot of the private school kids in particular on the west side here, they seem to forget that there's a pretty big city up north in Illinois that was pretty good at producing, you know, soccer teams. We didn't, there was no easy path. Yes, we played Southwestern Conference, and generally speaking, there was one to two tough games a year within the conference, and just is what it is. But all of our non-conference games were generally Vianney's, DeSmet's, Lou, CBC, mm-hmm. et cetera. But then we had to go up to Chicago and play in their backyard in late October, early November. You know, so let me, let me ask you one closing question here, Coach Garland. Uh, the fun stuff. Because the statute of limitations is long since <laughs> over, uh, off the field, what, what kind of guy was he to just party with? Because you, you had him in his prime. Oh, buddy, we had so much fun. I'll, t- I'll tell you one, <laughs> were you, were one you, great were you, story. Were you guys drinking Bud Lights out of the cup like it was the Stanley yeah, Cup? Yeah, and, you know, we never hit the hard stuff. We just drank, drank beers all the time. Well, By the gallon? Yeah. Well, we got in <laughs> so late that when he dropped me off, the neighbors were leaving for work. So I... I got out of the car and I picked up the hose. I started watering the lawn. Was that just, was that just last year too, probably? <laughs> I started watering the lawn. My wife comes to the door and says, what are you doing? I said, well, it's supposed to be really hot today. And Bake's <laughs> in the car watching me, just, roll, just waiting. Yeah. He's got it in drive. He's going to take off because he knows Debbie's going to snap. I said, well, I, you know, I'm going to get up early and thought I'd water the lawn. Well, it's November. <laughs> you know? She goes, oh, okay. Well, about 15 seconds later, here's your dinner. I saw my steak go by. I saw my baked potato go by. Through the I, air. Yeah, through, through the, the air. Through the air. And Bake goes, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Off he goes. Yeah. Jeff, Jeff what about you, man? Give, give, me, give me your one moment, you know, your years. Cause you know, I've, I'm I've sure got you've been two, thinking I've about it. I've got two of them, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Um, one of them, you know, you, you talk about pride and, and being from Granite. I've always loved that I was from Granite, and it's because of the the relationships, uh, you know, that I've formed. So sometimes people might, you know, take a jab or have fun with you. Yo, you're from Granite, but um, there's really no other place I'd want to be from because of the mentality of the people here. And uh, again, growing up in this soccer community uh, it was something to be proud of. You talk about, um, you know, memories from, from high school. One of my favorite memories growing up in the program was before I was even in there, which would have probably been about sixth grade, and that might have been when you were a sophomore. And, uh, well, I was 93, so I we had won, you by three. We won uh, <clears throat> Tournament of Champions, right? Was that your sophomore year, maybe freshman year? Sophomore year. Sophomore year, Henson yes. was in goal, yep, PKs. Yep, yep, yep. Jay, I, that was Jay and Skip. Yep. Yep, yep. I remember, I remember being on the sidelines just like with – half the junior high sitting there the excitement of the pks and the end that it was in and then winning and then rushing the field and that's before i even get into the program that's one of my uh favorite memories and then like you had mentioned coach we played um we played in the state championship game in 94 um you know granted is the only place where you tell somebody that you finished second in state and they're like okay you're the 11th best team in your town so we we lost that game but the uh, national anthem is played and then coach had told us before we ran out what to do and they played the national anthem and from midfield we all just sprint and run over to 
the stands because all of our alumni former players are standing right there. So we just kind of piled up on them. They piled up on us. And I can remember just going down the line, hugging guys that, you know, I grew up watching play. It was just an amazing feeling. And, and those are the little things that he plugged into your experience as a high school player. So I got to ask you, man, you're on the mic and this will forever go down in perpetuity on you. You're a Granite City kid. You knew this was coming. Yeah, I can expect it. Go ahead and give it to me. <laughs> you coached for the purple team. The purple team, yeah. Uh, did you try to self-sabotage every now and then? I mean, you know what? No, because I'm taking I'm taking granite <laughs> I'm I'm taking granite ideas and things that coach taught me. And, and oddly enough, we've been to state one time since I've been there, and we played a one four four one. There is another team oh in the God. country that ever plays a one four four one in high school. Yeah, that so was us. sweeper striker. Uh huh. Yeah. Sweeper, striker, and then all the role players in the middle. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> it, it got us there. That's the one time we've been, and that's what we played. And what was so wonderful about soccer and wrestling, it was such a huge tradition. Yeah. You know, all my brothers wrestled, my uncles, everybody. And that had to be, and I'm going to ask you what that had to be like, because I wrestled with his dad. Oh, my God. Okay? So though wrestling and soccer was a, it was the tops, okay? What it what it must have been like when you told your dad that you want to play soccer instead of wrestle. Yeah, did you did you phone it in or did you sit <laughs> did down you at the dinner <laughs> table? Send him a postcard? Or? <laughs> you know what? I think my dad just looked at me and said, you know, he, he doesn't have that wrestler mentality. He's now a little crazy, you know. Um, he he yes, certainly he never he, ne he never uh, pressured me into sports. And if anything, he probably would have pushed me away from wrestling. Yeah. Uh, just because the grueling nature of cutting weight, he talks about that kind of stuff when he wrestled a lot. I remember we were wrestling. I don't know if it was Riverview or Hazelwood Central, but his dad was so tough. He would rather, in fact, he did. He, he popped a rib. He didn't want to give up the move. He would rather hurt himself. I mean, that's how committed everybody was. I mean, yeah. it was tradition was so big in Granite City. Hopefully, we can get it back sooner than later uh, because yeah. Granite City kids are tough. They're, yeah. Well, guys, this has been, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate you taking the time to join. I appreciate you uh, here anytime. Yeah, we're gonna we'll we'll keep uh, we'll keep the stories coming here. Coach Mike Garland, thank you. Congratulations thank you. on your records as well, man. Thank you. You, you are a hammer. Jeff, uh, always a pleasure, man. I'm sure Thanks. we'll cross paths here soon. Hope to. Shortly. Uh, we're going we're gonna to take a quick break, and we'll be back with more 62040 stories and Gene Baker. Take care. Yo, Jared here. Remember the pool pandemic of 2021? I was infected. I needed my own oversized oasis in Wentzville. I needed a simple solution to pay for it. So I reached out to my favorite undefeated CBC freshman standouts, Bill and Chris, at The Pinnacle Loans. Long story short, I have my pool. It's a flipping hammer. The loan process with those guys was so simple. Even I did it. Now, every time I get in my pool to drink ice cold beer, I can thank the team over at ThePinnacleLoans.com. That's ThePinnacleLoans.com. 20 and 0 as freshmen? Really? Crescent Plumbing Supply helps save marriages. Really, as families grow, kitchen and bath needs change rapidly. Designing and choosing the right fixtures takes way more skill than just scrolling Pinterest. Staying on budget and avoiding those foreign language order sheets, that's not easy. Lucky for you, the local team at Crescent Plumbing Supply, they are experts. 
They can help you ditch the baby's tub for a teenage shower and upsize that kitchen sink for all those tumblers, rosé glasses, and sports water bottles. So, when you're ready for that kitchen or bath makeover, go to crescentsupply.com. That's crescentsupply.com. It's cheaper than a therapist. Tell my kids. (laughs) All right. We're back. Down here at Pavia's place in good old Granite City. Thanks to Nick for hosting, and I really appreciate you picking up the bar tab today. I'll send you a copy of this recording in a little bit. (laughs) We're going to keep it going. Uh, Rolling in with two more guests. Uh, We're going to talk more soccer, more coach. Um, you know, the impact he had on uh, our guests coming up, their experiences, some tips and tricks and stories and all of the above. So without further ado, uh, we're going to we're going to start with the 83 alum brother. Right. That's, I, I, that, that's I, what they call me. Brother. That's what they call yeah. you. Uh, drop your full name because I will absolutely butcher your last name. My full name's Phil Popmarkoff, but uh, everyone's known me as brother as long as I can remember. Are you an only child? No. Oh, okay, good. How many siblings you got? Two sisters. Two sisters. Yeah. And you're a class of 83? Yes. Um, let me let me just kind of the same uh, where I start with Jeff, um, because you as a kid, you were witnessing, you know, a, a, literally a dynasty run in real time. Um, talk about your first realization or experience with with coach, with the program, and your path to the field in relationship with him as well. So my, my first encounter with coach uh, was probably eight or nine years old, and I had a uh, best friend, neighbor, that uh, his brother played soccer. So we were watching games in 1973, 74, and uh, he and I decide to, his brother's playing, we decide to uh, go to the side of the field where the benches were. And uh, back then, that's when Keith Galing was playing, and Matt's brother, uh, Matt Sheridan, who's my, my best friend, uh, his brother Dave was playing. So we were out there watching, and the ball was coming toward the sideline, and Keith couldn't get to the ball. He got a little mad. He, he dr- decides to drill the ball against the fence. Well, the ball curves off his foot, narrowly misses Matt, and smacks me right in the nose. <laughs> it, it knocks me off my feet. And uh, I've got blood everywhere. And long story short, Coach Baker helped me to the bench. They lay me down. It's it's cold. They played in the winter then. And they start laying all these. Uh, Stay a little closer if they, you don't mind. They yeah. start they start laying all these sweat jackets on top of me and trying to keep me warm and got ice packs on my face and. So that was kind of my first encounter with Coach. But so, so did Keith come over and say, well, that was your fault? No. Because that's what I, he did to us as a coach. He, yeah. he had a ton of sympathy. Yeah, no, I, I had to remind him years later that that, <laughs> that was me, and he laughed and said, that was you? And I said, absolutely. And he actually remembered it, so I, I just told him. Uh, did he apologize? Uh, no, he might have bought did, me a beer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sounds like he. That's awesome. So um, as, as a kid then, you know, Specifically, starting in '76, uh, the run of five straight. You know, I, you, I was at most of the state championships back then. Um, t- talk about the environment. Talk about you know, just kind of like, you win the first one, that's fun. You win the second one, holy shit, we did it twice. 
but you rip off three more. Mm-hmm. As a kid that loved the game and was playing, what was that like being near that, knowing that you're going to play there too? Well, but by the time 79, 80 hit, I was part of the team. So, you know, I got to experience that for myself. But I do remember um, prior to that just being so excited and just um, being at the stadium. At, back then, I think we were at Northern Illinois University uh, one year. And um, it was just, everything was electric. You know, we, we, I just, I knew that's where I wanted to be. So in those days, too, because obviously I can only speak to what I know as far as like the preseason, you know, the midnight practices and, you know, our expectations in the summertime and, and basically all the child labor laws that were broke to ensure the, our successes. How tough was it? How tough was it to prepare to be part of those teams, especially with the you know, the winning, the, the winning expectations being, you, you couldn't get any higher. How tough was it to prepare? It was extremely tough and everybody was uh, somewhat terrified, you know, when coming in as a freshman. But uh, back then we were doing three-a-day practices. So three-a-days in August were sweltering, uh, yeah. to say the least. And um, I can recall a, um, you know, a couple of practices where I think coach who, who nothing got by him, he knew everything. And uh, we showed up one Sunday. We used to practice on Sunday mornings as well. Uh, showed up Sunday morning. We'd all, he, he knew we were all out at a party. Um, <laughs> we, were deci- we were getting ready to head to the field from the locker room, and he said, leave the balls. <laughs> yeah. And we saw him carrying his, his own cleats. And, you know, none of us have ever seen him put on a pair of cleats. But he went out there with his cleats on, made us run, and made sure we were aware that he was he knew what was going on he he basically told us years later i was i was trying to make you sweat it out or throw up or or whatever you know because we all you know did it up the night before and um it you know that is one thing that is goes unnoticed or not remembered by vast majority of ex-players even uh was how good of a player he really was you know because at, at the time you know in in our years no knock on coach, but he wasn't really a physical specimen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he was, put it lightly. Uh, and I remember one practice in particular, um, probably my senior year, uh, you were practicing dead balls and I'm running through it. And I had a tendency to hop when I hit the ball and he didn't like that. And I did it like three times in a row. And finally he goes, for fuck's sake. And he turns around, sets the ball down. He runs, crushes it upper 90. He's like, just do it like that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And everybody's like, Okay, where'd that come from? So, when he's running, did did he do the laps with you guys, or he, was he, he just... didn't do the laps? But he he did some of the drills with us, and I think a few guys that that were maybe not doing things right got the cleats down the shin or or something just to make them aware. Hey, I'm I'm not messing around. You guys yeah. need to. So that's where Keith learned it. it well, yes, yeah. <laughs> and he he actually I, I got another story. Actually, he had Keith when Keith used to play for Wichita Wings. Yeah, he came back and. Uh, uh, attended one of our practices with his shoes and Baker I found out later told him told Keith to give me the business I want to see what you can do so he had the way of, of bringing the best out of me you know and, and although I didn't realize it at the time but Keith laid into me you know yeah. and I turned and kind of kind of retaliated and, and uh, Keith said yeah you don't like that do you you know well no I don't like it and I'm not going to stand for it either so the more he gave it to me the harder I tried so well let me ask you about one other player <clears throat> real quick I would be it would I would be remiss if I didn't uh, because during those years 
you you had the privilege to witness and play with, arguably, when Baker admitted the number one prodigy <laughs> from Granite, and that being David Fernandez. Dave Fernandez. Yep. Tell me a Dave story. You know, in regards to the team with Coach, what, what's, well, what's something that stands out? I, I went to, first of all, I'm going to tell you, I went to grade school with, with Dave. And I can remember, he was two years older, but I can remember um, at, at recess. And he had, he had everybody at school watching this, teachers coming out. But he said, I can hit the crossbar, you know, four out of five times from the 18-yard line. And Dave did it. And the teachers were like, wow, that's pretty impressive. You got a kid in sixth grade, you know? And then at that time he was into the juggling, you know, he was juggling 10,000 times in sixth yeah. grade, you know? But at practice, his his skills um, bled over to the rest of the team. Guys would watch things and go, oh my God, you know, I, I can't believe, he, he was so ahead of his time. Um, it was just, we were in awe at times watching him. So I, I can recall it at the state tournament, Dave um, was, and I'm on the field with him, but he's taking the ball down and I'm yelling at him because he's got two guys in front of him. I thought there's no way he can get this ball through. Well, he, he, he puts the ball through a guy's legs and then scores in the upper corner. And I looked at him, I said, next time I'm yelling for the ball, don't, don't give it to me. Just, just do yeah. your own thing. Yeah. Cause he, he was just, he, again, Dave, Dave, just ignore me. Ignore it's, me. It's yeah. Good. I'm sorry. I, I got your back. Buddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, uh, I'm, it's time. We're going to introduce our other guests sitting here, just patiently waiting. You're excited, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I rolled this in with a little uh, Pearl Jam in honor of uh, Gen X, uh, class of 93, guest number four here. All right. Miss Beth Rapoff. How are you doing, Beth? I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me. Uh, you, when this all played out and Nick reached out, you know, kind of mentioning, thought it would be fun to try and capture more of the stories, I immediately thought of you for obvious reasons. Um, but for the sake of our listener, a little bit of background. Uh, obviously, you're born and bred GCer. Born and bred um, GCer. You you too played the game we all love. Talk a little bit about, um, you know, just briefly your 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 youth club here in town or who you were playing with. Some of the names, uh, because Coach was in your near future as a child, uh, approaching high school. Talk talk about your path a little bit. So I actually was a goalie as a kid. So I actually played club soccer primarily in St. Louis for the Jamestown Stars. The Elks were obviously a smaller club then. Um, and I was a pretty good goalie. Um, freshman year, I was on the varsity team. Um, Stephanie Colt was hurt at the time. But if you know <laughs> Stephanie Colt, she is... Uh, She's not hurt for long. Wasn't hurt for long. And she was 5'8", and one of the probably the best goalie I ever played with. Um, so she came on the scene. So it was pretty evident that, as my dad would say, I would be riding the pine if I didn't do something differently. Um, but Coach, like, as a freshman, took me in. And I remember him putting me in in defense. Like, I had been a goalie and playing like a sectional game or something against Collinsville. And he put me in the game as a ninth grader, like a big game. And I remember thinking, what is happening? Like, I do not know what I'm doing. Um, playing against like uh, Jerry Richardson's wife, Jamie Casillas. She was an incredible player. Karen Chastain from Collinsville, like like really legit players. Um, so that was my freshman year. And then by sophomore year, I was playing defense. Um, 
doing well. I, I mean, I made the All-State Tournament team my sophomore year um, for defense. We got fourth place that year. That was really exciting. Um, and then, you know, kind of moved me between defense and midfield for the next couple of years. I was captain, you know, some nice honors that I'm sure coach had a lot to do with my getting. Um, but it was just, I played college soccer. I played for a great club, but nothing compared to him as a coach. So talk a little bit about your, <clears throat> kind of your, what I would call like your childhood path and kind of the vision and the expectation, you know, clearly you played the game from a young age. You, you love the game. Uh, growing up in Granite City, for the most part, I mean, yes, of course, there's other sports and kids thrived at other sports, but soccer was a little bit different in our town. Um, and I think almost exclusively, realistically, due to what he was doing at the high school and the program. As, as, a, as a young girl kind of waiting for your shot and you see uh you know the the state championships and kind of the vibe on on the boys side and all of that and you, you know because coach wasn't always the uh the coach of the girl side right so when he did take that on uh, did you did you think about that like in a special way was it like the, the, a challenge to you was it exciting was it were you ready for it? were you scared of it you know what what I was, was definitely your... nervous at first, I think, with him. But I guess when you don't know any different, you know, you assume everything's that great. I think something that really struck me about Coach and, and now reading so many articles about him, obviously the boys' team had a ton of success, and, you know, it's great to read those articles. But the girls' team is very little mentioned, if at all. Yeah. Um, and that's not how he treated us at all. And I always – I mean, I even say – to this day like he knew how to coach boys and he knew how to coach girls and it's different and he had a knack of being able to do that so I think for me just once I got over the hurt of you know I'm 5'3 I'm not going to be a goalie um, I was <laughs> thrilled to play for him you could and be I, an indoor goalie I could have <laughs> been an indoor goalie but unfortunately that's not the game we were playing but I mean he just took me under his wing and he taught us so much like I always said he did such an exceptional job of making Teams, regardless of the talent, making us high-level, high-quality teams. And he really did stress with the girls how we treated each other, and we really were a family. And even if this girl was next to you wasn't your best friend, and in high school you know how hard that can be, it didn't matter. We all cared about each other and treated each other respectfully, and that was a huge message that has carried me throughout life, honestly. So talk a little bit then about kind of his his process because you know we've talked about the midnight practices we've talked about you know the expectations you know um brother just talked about you know forget the balls leave those in the locker room we're going to train without balls um what what was a lesson or a memory from either training or a game in which you saw him really kind of pop off a huge lesson, uh, state tournament, um, we got into it, um, the starters got mad at each other, I don't, you know, gosh, I can't even remember why, we had a meeting afterwards and we were going into the third place game, and he didn't start one of us, and not one person on that bench was upset because we knew that we deserved it, like we had handled ourselves in, Wait, inappropriately. Senior year? No, it's my sophomore year. Sophomore year, okay. Yep, this year, that fourth place was our best showing, and we would have won the third place game, no doubt in my mind, if the starters had all been in, but he didn't. We didn't play the whole first half. Not one of us, and not one person said anything other than we knew it was our it was our fault. And for kids to be able to recognize that, I thought was a really powerful. And and I think it took a lot of uh, courage for him. To, I, mean, I mean, I'm sure he wanted to win that third place. You know, that would have been a, a we would have gotten a parade back home. It would have been the first time all of those pieces. But it was more important because we we violated 
the sanctity of our team and he wasn't having it. And well, maybe a question for the two of you and, you know, whoever chime in first, because, you know, hearing that story and just kind of thinking about how he approached character and the expectation of character. Well, I can answer that. He, I, I remember very well that uh, one of his favorite sayings was, if you're having a bad day, change it. If you're having a bad game, change it. Practice, change it. You know, it, it's it's you, and, and you're the one that can make that change. So uh, he he truly believed that, you know, you, every day could be a good day. Yeah. What, Beth, how about to you? I want to ask you a little bit because you, you, you have kids. You have uh, – how many kids do you have, by the way? I have two. Two. Both play? Yes. Um you're you're around soccer fields all the time. You're around the club. Obviously, you you're over at uh, Ladue High, and yep. you're obviously a fan of your own teams. Um, my question to you is in regards to the role of the parent, um, you know, at club, at high school, and comparing and contrasting that to what we grew up with here. Um, talk talk a little bit about the difference. I mean, I think it's night and day, uh, the parent role versus uh, our parents' role, certainly. My parents were very much complete trust in him. My dad said, if you don't work hard, you're going to ride the pine, and that's your problem. Never a conversation with him about playing time or anything. It was never that way. Um, I coached my daughter for a time, too, and we had great families, so there wasn't a lot of conflict there. They were all afraid of you. <laughs> did, you, did you threaten them? The girls weren't afraid of me. Maybe their parents were, but the girls Well, that's what I'm talking about. I'm yeah, not worried yeah, about yeah. kids. It's the parents. But I think, like, first, I'll speak personally now, sitting on the sideline as a parent with a high level of knowledge of the game, it's hard. Because I do often go back to, and I'm going a little bit off tangent, but it's relevant. I go back to what I learned from Coach Baker. Like, the defensive mindset, the... Like I said the, earlier off the air, the free kicks, the free kicks I see kids taking today are terrible. I'm like, we got to get some, you know, like play, like creativity. Like he was like a, an artist with his creativity and his ideas. Like I feel like I sit on the on the sidelines and I'm like, I've been a lot better chomping at the bit. But I think parents nowadays I think lose sight a little bit sometimes of uh, what this is and what it means and. It becomes very individualized. Yeah, you know, I just had a little bit of an aha moment. Maybe you guys agree or disagree, and let me know what you think. Because you saying just that where <clears throat> we've talked about how coach, uh, it was a system base, right? There were rules, you, both in the locker room, in the classroom, and especially on the field. For example, and I'm sure you guys remember this, it was really, really simple. You had two rules. Number one, don't ever let anybody beat you to the outside. And number two, when you play the ball, you better make sure and go around the person that you just played it to. Everything else kind of fell into place, right? Um, and in so much that those two rules were universal. And then the third rule was don't ever pass the ball with anything other than the inside of your foot. And if you did it with any other part of your body or the outside of your foot, you might as well just come sit down. Even if you made the pass, come sit down. Um, kids today, systems in general, there's so much of an emphasis on individual uh, skills and uh, 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 performance, training, technical, etc. Do you think that maybe he had like the secret pot of gold a little bit in so much that take away the expectation and the stress that we're putting on kids to learn 72 moves, just do these two or three things simplistically? Um, 100%. I mean, I think that the best players do a couple of moves <clears throat> 
um, you know, the right way. I remember we were coaching our girls and they were little. I'm like, we are teaching them the proper way to pass the ball. You know, none of this flicking the stuff. Sometimes it's appropriate and it's great, but like the, the flash today, I think, yes, we are, we are missing the boat. Did, did you use the hockey stick egg scenario? Like, it's like a hockey stick. Catch the egg. Don't break the egg. I, uh, yes, I say it's a, cu- it's a pillow or you gotta, your foot's like a cu- cushion, a pillow. So yeah. I constantly, and I remember like vividly practicing with Tammy Duco, who's my best friend in high school. We, I mean, every practice you were doing that, you watched everyone had that proper form. Everyone had it. So you learned so much by such a simple thing. And the beating people to the outside is something that is my pet peeve to this day. It makes me nuts when I'm like, why are you letting them outside? Why are you letting them outside? What's going on? You, you have a free teammate in the touchline. Use it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <You> <laughs> so I do say those things. And in fact, I was in Kansas City um, the 18th of August with my daughter. And we had a free kick for her team that was in goal scoring position. And I'm like, she's not getting a big enough run. It's not going to happen. She's not going to score that. And I was right. <laughs> It's, it's funny because, um, you know, we, we think back to those times and the simplistic lessons that he taught us as players, but then the mental side of it, you know, the loyalty amongst the roles because, you know, most of our teams, even the ones that we played on that did win, you know, the, the, the big ones, I, I mean, I can go through some of the, some of the classes that, that I participated in and there were starters that, and they would admit it, were good they weren't great. Mm-hmm. They were they were just tough players, though. You, brother, you, those years, because you five five in a row requires a lot of skill, <laughs> a lot of uh, grit. What what did the balance of the players look like at that time? Because there had to been uh, there had to been a bell curve. What did, what did it look like in your teams? Well. And you're right, it did look like a bell curve, but, you know, like I said, Coach always had a way of bringing out the best in mm-hmm. his players right. and, and knew where the right fit was for you. You know, you might have said, well, on my club team or whatever, I played this. Oh, no, you're going to do this. You know, this is where you fit in this. <laughs> you mean the club team that I put together for you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, I'll never forget, our. He, you know, how he, um, the first day of practice, I don't know if he did that with you guys, he always had a word, and that word was going to be the theme for that season. And I still remember my senior year, the word was pragmatic. So, you know, as soon as he, we put it on the board. We, that sounds like an English teacher. Well, yeah, we, we sat and looked at it. And everybody said, what's pragmatic? And he said, well, I don't want everybody riding on the coattails of what have ha- what, what's happened in the past. Yeah. Don't, don't come out here expecting that we're going to win this thing. We're going to be looking toward the future and seeing how we're going to do that again this year. So don't worry about what's happened in the past. This is our new season. So, you know, that's that was the theme of our of our year. What was, what was your word of the year? Any of them that you I remember? I knew you were going to say that. No, but I just wanted to say brother took the words out of my mouth when he said he knew how to bring out the best in every player. Like he knew, like how did he know everybody such as an individual? Um, but I don't remember our words of the year. I just remember I loved the, the handwriting, that crazy handwriting, the way he wrote it. It was three, it was three it. of them. Yeah. It was don't fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if you would have seen like if you would have seen him write pragmatic, it looked like nothing but uh, a bunch of consonants. I actually found an old um, well, reference he had written for me, handwritten recently when I was going through stuff, and uh, like there's the handwriting. It's like you. That's the most distinctive writing, and you, you saw it up on the board in the the shed before the game, and just. So cool. Yeah, pragmatic. I'm guessing that only the kids from Frohart could read that, by the way. 
Just a guess. I don't know. I'm just like yeah. Namioki. <laughs> uh, Beth, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you because you are uh, tell everybody what current role. What's your day job? I'm in the, the associate principal at Ladue Horton Watkins High School. Okay, so you 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 love the game. You're at a public school. Um, we were talking uh, off air about your coach over there, Coach Dave. Um, talk a little bit about. What goes through your head now, and, and does Coach Baker come in to play when you when you look at your program, when you look at high school soccer in general, the effect that academies and clubs are having on the process, and you look at the kids, um, just paint a picture. Like, where's in your mind the state of high school soccer through your lens, having played for Coach Baker? How do you look at it today? Well, I believe if Coach Baker were still coaching high school, it would be a different conversation for a lot of even academy players. Um, I think it's tough. Like, my son's a junior, and he has a couple of friends that have made an MLS next team. And um, I do think there are players that are truly at that level, and, you know, high school is not appropriate for them. Um, but I think that's a pretty elite level. Um, I think, you know, I think there is the many wonderful things that come from playing high school that, you know, you can't get anywhere else, playing for your team, wearing your school colors, people in the stands. I think those things are still important. Um, I do see that diminish, certainly from when we were in high school. Um, well, well, let me ask you honestly, though, because, I mean, growing up here, we all knew who the rival was, right? So that purple Indian thing that's right. across the way. Mm -hmm. Who's the rival at Ladue? And don't, you know, I mean, because we're going to make I fun of whoever. <laughs> you could. No, go ahead. I guess it needs to be now, right, since we're over there? That's right. Um, I think Clayton's a rival for some sports. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it just kind of depends on the sport, I feel like, more than anything. It's not like we were, like Collinsville was. Well, well that's kind of the frame of the question, just because I want to get your take, because you're on the front row of what's going on today. Um, you know, because I, I, I truly believe that part of our success as a city, that program was, if it, if it weren't for the fact that Collinsville was, you know, they were pretty good. They, were, they, they would at least give us a challenge, you know, consistently. I mean, they, they won a few state titles. I, I think that helped us exponentially. Do, do you look at the high school programs today? Because we were talking earlier about Edwardsville and a few of the other programs. Yeah, yes, there's some, uh, maybe a little bit of a challenge or they're a little bit more worked up. But is there the level of, um, I don't even know the right word, where lo loyalty or you want to beat that school really bad. Does that exist? In I don't say that as much today. I really don't. How about you? Because your daughter played recently in the last few years. Uh, did she play high school? She Was played high school in Granite, yes. Um, I, no, I didn't see the rivalries like, you know, um, as far in Collinsville, yeah, that was one of ours, but more so was Granite City North. You know, there was two high schools when I was here. So. Oh yeah, yeah. So that was that was the huge. You know, we had the huge crowds and the fights and the you know the nuttiness that went along the just the high um, tension going on and. Um, but yeah, uh, Collinsville. That was, you know, they they 
and <laughs> not to be tooting my own horn, but they weren't much competition for us. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound like anybody was really. No, <laughs> no yeah, five, five state titles in a row. I mean, you guys could have played the Cosmos during those years. <laughs> I remember Collinsville was our big one, and I remember a, a game, uh, a boys' game, that their fans were throwing D batteries at the bench. Well, yeah, most of those guys are now cops in Collinsville, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, thank you very much. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to steal more of your time here. We've got a few more people coming down the pipe here. Uh, Beth, it was a pleasure seeing you again. Yeah, you too. Uh, Thanks so much. Yeah, best of luck with uh, Dave's team. Thank teams. you. Is he, he's, he's both men's he's and women's. He's both, yep. All right. Well, get that get get that guy straight. You know, get show him some old GC footage. All right. I'll I'll get it. I'll get in there. <laughs> Brother, thank you as, okay, as well you, for JB. joining us. I really appreciate it. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break. Um, now, since uh, Nick is paying for all the beers, now we're gonna get some pizzas from him too. So, Pavia's place, Grand City. Come check it out.